0: Uh, good morning again. Happy Mother's Day to the moms in the house. If you're here and you're a mom or soon to be mom, can you raise your hand this morning? Let us acknowledge you. Let's give a hand to all the moms in the room. Pretty cool thing. It's awesome. How many of you um, have either had kids in the past or have kids currently that love to ride a bicycle? Anybody, just lift your hand so we can see how common this is. See, bicycles are cool, aren't they? Some of you just didn't raise your hand, but you know bicycles are cool. And kids love bikes. Our kids love bikes. Um, How many of you know you can take a bike just about anywhere these days? You can take a bike to the park. You can take a bike to, in some cities, the pool. You can take a bike to school. You can even take a bike, some extreme uh, ex-gamers to the top of a mountain and back down. It's really remarkable all the places you can take a bike. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever rode a bike and had a pedal, a solitary single pedal, fall off of the bike? Okay, how did that go for you? It's not easy, it's not It's near impossible to pedal a bike when you've got one pedal off. It just doesn't work, right? So we need both pedals working together to make progress when we ride a bike. The same is true James tries to tell us in the scriptures while he's talking about being hearers of the word and doers of the word. They're like two pedals on a same uh, bicycle. One doesn't work without the other. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today in verses 19 through 21 we're going to see that a christian life is just like pedals on a bike know the word do the word know the word do the word there's a lot of know the word people frankly they know the word they can tell you the hebrew they can tell you the greek they can open their lexicon They go to studies upon studies upon studies upon studies. They are the, what should we say, nerdy among us. They're academic. They love the word. Great thing. They read books and in the Bible and footnotes and endnotes and cross-references and are just perpetually growing deeper in the word. There's other people, and the name Annie Shaw comes to mind when I talk about this, who are more inclined, who have a proclivity to be doers of the word in that you see them active in their community, doing what Jesus asked us to do. Feeding people, taking care of orphans, encouraging others, just constantly. How many of you know we're supposed to do both? Know the word and do the word, both. Together they ought to be complementary. And of course, James, our author, learned this from his older brother, Jesus. Luke actually records Jesus having said in chapter 11, verse 28 of the book of Luke, blessed are those who know the word of God and go do it. Now, isn't that something? Two guys who likely slept in the same bunk bed. Two guys who likely traveled to the temple, the the ancient church together together. Talking, comparing notes, studying the scriptures, coming home, that they would have almost exactly the same language when we look at the words that Jesus said and the words that James said. See, this is part in part how we know the Bible is a credible document. It says they're brothers and then it quotes each of them and they're nearly alike. How many of you have met somebody and they say something that's unique? And you have guessed that they know so-and-so who says something really unique. It just happens every once in a while. You've been hanging around with so-and-so, haven't you? Well, this is what happened with James and Jesus. James begins this way. This is James' uh, word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Did you know that you're the beloved of God this morning? Can we just start there? You're loved by God. What a simple takeaway from the scripture. He loves you. He's not unkind. He's not uncaring. He's not indifferent. He's not idle. He's not passive. He loves you. And actively so. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How does James begin? That's about all we're going to look at today. He begins by saying, know this. Have you ever looked at anybody and held up a finger and said, know this? What did you mean when you said, know this? Know this. Means what you're about to say is very important, isn't it? It's poignant. James says, Know this, okay? In other words, listen up. I'm about to communicate something that matters. He's trying to grab our attention, he's trying to open our mind. He says, Know this. My beloved, he's saying to his readers, before we get into the list of things that you ought to do and ought not to do, can I just remind you that we begin with the very love of God? That that's our starting point. Moms, do you know that the Father loves you today? That's the starting point. It's not what we ought to be doing and ought not to be doing. It's just that you're the beloved of God. God. Your activity comes out of your identity as his daughters. James is saying, think about who you are before we talk about what you should do. And the outcome is that when we obey God, we're not working for his love. We we feel that sometimes, that pressure. We're not working for the love. Did you know that God cannot possibly love you more than he loves you right now? He can't. He already loves you immensely, immeasurably, infinitely so. And And there's nothing you can do to increase or elevate God's love for you did you know that that's where we start that's where we start I mean we're sitting pretty good right now aren't we the beloved of God let's just stop there and bask in it and enjoy it we're God's beloved what a cool thought his kindness then is what leads us to repentance and is what leads us to our activity. It's like saying uh, if I were to Miles, my son, um, Miles, I, I don't I don't love you today. I just want you to know that. I, I don't love you. What I need you to do, Miles, is I need you to pick up a few of your toys. And maybe, Miles, maybe at the end of that, I'll love you, maybe I won't, but if you could just go ahead and pick them up, it's the only way really you can know. I mean, would a great dad, a father, ever say Anything like that? Of course not. Neither does our Father in heaven. He says, I love you regardless of whether or not you pick up your toys. I love you. That's where we start. James tells us of the implanted word. How many of you are gardeners? He used that phrase, implanted word. So some gardeners. Gardeners, have you noticed this? Are emphatic about gardening. Have you seen this? These passionate people about gardening, we're starting, I just raised uh, three beds. Is that how you say it? Built three raised beds, however you say it. We're going to try to put some dirt in it and throw some seeds in the ground. You poke, poke them down in and cover them up, right? Is that what you do? And then you water them, and then you hope that something comes out of the ground that's green. So the Burris family, jury's still out. I don't know if we're going to like it, but we're going to try it. We're going to try it because we know some of you are passionate about it and you like it. So we're gardeners, Okay. So we're going to garden. James uses a gardening word. He says God's word is implanted inside of us. What does he mean? He means God puts a seed of his word inside of our heart. And just like a little seed in the ground has the power to, to, to uh, grow, to produce fruit in life, so God's word planted inside of our heart has the power to generate our livelihood. Okay, did you ever put a seed in a little cup as a kid? I remember this in school, a little clear plastic cup. And they put some dirt in there for you. And they said, go home and put this in the windowsill and water it every day and see what happens. How many of you had that exercise when you were a kid in school? Maybe this was a North Carolina thing. Apparently, it's Midwestern too. So what did we do? We put it in the windowsill at home and we eagerly watched it. As, as, a, as a kid, right? And we would water it and we'd watch it some more. The next day, we'd do the same thing, keep the same pattern. James is saying, I promise you, if you put the seed of the Word of God in your heart and cultivate it, it'll produce life, it'll produce fruit, okay? Now, he gives us five personalities. Five personalities that will resist the growth of fruit in our hearts. Let's review them. The first he mentions is a bad listener. Do you have a hard time listening? I'll say that again. (laughs) Do you have a hard time listening? Okay. These are the people that are there, present, but their mind is not there. They're someplace else. Their body's there, but in their mind, they're frantic. They're jumping to whatever they need to do next. They're frazzled. These are the people where where you say, You don't listen! And they're like, What? (laughs) You don't listen! These are those kinds of people. Um, What does James say to the bad listener? He says, be quick to what? Listen. Be quick to listen. He's saying it's your choice. It's your choice to listen. It's a skill that can be honed. It's not that you need more information if you're a bad listener. It's that you need more receptivity. You need to tune in. That's what you need. Um, I will tell you that I struggle with this one more than any of the other four types. Say, how can you be a pastor pastor and a bad listener? I don't know. (laughs) Only by the grace of God. What? No, no, I'm just kidding. But that's me. That's me. Bad listener. Thank God for James. Second personality type says, James, your ability to receive the word of God will be confronted if you're a chatterbox. How many of you know or are a chatterbox? Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie. The worst is when a chatterbox is married to who? The bad listener, right? That's just awful. Okay, but the chatterbox—he says you're in a terrible predicament if you're a chatterbox. And let's just face it: there are some people who process verbally. It's what they do. They talk. They fill the air. They can't just let things be. They have to give their opinion on every matter. What does James say to the chatterbox? Be slow to what? Speak. Be slow to speak. The third personality type that he mentions is the one with the short fuse. This is somebody who's prone to anger. This is somebody who may even justify their anger by saying, actually, in the Bible, God was angry, and I can be too. Yeah, but God didn't get angry like we get angry. I'll show you the difference. James 1, 19 through 20, we just read it, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then if we look at the verse of the Bible that, believe it or not, is quoted more often by other verses of the Bible, by other authors of the Bible, by men inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us the revelation of God himself. What verse did those guys quote most commonly? They quoted a verse from Exodus 34, 6 that says, The Lord is slow to what? To anger, it doesn't say the Lord that never gets angry." It says the Lord that's slow to anger. The other day, I dropped a bowl of soup on our kitchen floor and it messed up the next two hours of my evening. <laughs> what do you think I have? The anger of man or the anger of God? The anger of man. You can have more of one of these, more than one of these, by the way. You can have all of them, by the way. It was the anger of man. God does not have a short wick that burns quickly. God has a long wick that burns slowly. And so when God grows in his anger it is over the course of time and it is by his conscious choice to grow in anger it is not reactionary it is not momentous what is what does your wick look like do you see the anger when something sets you off? Are you always just kind of teetering on the edge? Are people just on p- pins and needles around you? They, they think you're a grenade with a pin pulled? They have to be so careful all the time. What is James saying to those of us who have a short fuse. He says, be slow to what? Be slow to anger. The fourth personality type he addresses is that of the compromiser. This is the person that cannot stand sin. Can't stand it. But they can stand one sin. They can sure stand one sin. That's nasty. I hate that stuff. God hates that stuff. But that over there, I I privately enjoy like it's a sweet chocolate. It's a morsel. These might be called inconsistent. These might be called by some hypocritical. These are the people who submit nearly their whole life to the Lord. But a segment they keep for themselves. They justify their sin by saying things like this. Well, nobody's perfect. Everybody's got their thing. At least I'm not doing what that guy's doing. And, and, and those who are, are um, what, what are they doing? They're, they're comparing themselves to other people and not to who? God. God. You can make yourself look good anytime, at any moment, by comparing yourself to somebody else. Did you know that? It's in the reflection upon who God is that we see ourselves as we are. What does James say in verse 21? He says, put away how much filthiness and rampant wickedness. We read it. All of it. All of it. He's saying, don't be incongruent. Don't leave the the corner of the kitchen floor unclean. Clean up the whole floor. It'll get dusty again. His mercies are new every morning, but then clean the whole floor again. Don't just leave the corner dirty all the time. Then the fifth personality type that James says will have a hard time hearing the word of God is the know-it-all. How many of you have known a few of those? This is a person that can be taught absolutely nothing. They just can't learn anything. They're unwilling at heart to grow in any capacity. And as soon as you start teaching, they interrupt you and they say, oh, I know that. I knew that already. See, they're announcing to you effectively this. I I appreciate the contribution your small brain has on this matter, but I already got all this figured out. They come out and they tell you what they already knew and and, and what you were trying to, to teach them. They think they're the only authority. They like to show you how smart they are. They want to make sure that you fully understand how deep and how vast is their insight. The problem with a know it all, of course, is that they are what? They're proud. They're prideful. They don't have meekness, which James says we ought to have. They don't have humility. They reject instruction. And, and rather, in the place of the know-it-all, God is looking for somebody who would say, Lord, I don't know nearly what I should. Please reveal yourself to me in your word. I cannot do this on my own. I make mistakes upon mistakes. Please, please help me at work. Help me at home. Help me in my interpersonal skills and relationships. Help our finances. Lord, I depend on you. Show me what I don't know in your word. Lord, I want to grow. So what are you? The bad listener, the chatterbox, the short fuse, the compromiser, or the know-it-all? What aspect of your personality is hindering God's word, God's seed, from being implanted in your soul, in your heart? I want to conclude with an illustration, um, an, an analogy that's going to kind of lead us into next week when we get to the passage on doing and hearing, um, and the, the the thought is this. Imagine, if you will, a dad who gets up early in the morning and he wakes up and the, the house has completely been ransacked. Uh, maybe he went to bed early. He's going to work early. And he notices in particular that there's an odor in the house. He flips up a couple trash can lids, and they're just full of trash. Bathroom cans are full of trash. Kitchen's full of trash. And so he thinks to himself, boy, this has got to this has got to, to be fixed, but I don't have time for this. So he sits down to pin out a quick note. Okay, to his kids. And he says something to the effect of, I love you kids. You're amazing to me. You're my beloved. I adore you. It just begins his letter in that way. But there's some trash that needs to be taken out. So before you go to school, if you would kindly put the bathroom trash in the kitchen can and put the kitchen kitchen bag uh, out by the, the uh, cans and roll the cans to the end of the street and then take the trash bags to the end of the street that don't fit in the can. And if you could just take care of that before you go to school, I would greatly appreciate that. And then what if dad comes home from work and he sees at the end of the driveway that there's no cans there at all, empty or full, and so he begins to think, oh, wow, they probably already rolled him back to the house. And what if he goes in the garage and there sits the mess? And what if he walks in his house and nothing's been done? And everything is, uh, the, the odor is stronger than it was when he left in the morning. And so he says, hey, we've got to have a family meeting. I've got to pull everybody together. We need to talk about this. Did you see my note this morning? And what if his kid said, Yeah. Dad, that note was amazing. I mean, your prose was on point. Your punctuation was flawless. Dad, the imagery you used in talking about trash was inspiring. We took it quite seriously, Dad. In fact, we skipped school to study your letter. And, and we researched how other nations take care of their trash. And we learned about recycling. And we learned about a carbon footprint that can be left on the earth. And it really got us thinking about how to get rid of the trash. In a gospel-centered way, Dad. We know you love Jesus. We invited some friends over. Even and we combed through the scriptures when they got home from school. Our life group we studied trash in great detail. Trash we discovered was symbolic of sin in the Greek, it needs to be taken away, like it needs to be taken out. We create a website, Dad, to talk about all the new discoveries we made about trash. Do you understand the point I'm making? God doesn't care, frankly, if you know the Hebrew word for trash. If you don't take out the trash, He cares. Not that you memorize verses about anger but that you've let the word be planted in your soul and you're now slow to anger. He wants you to be quick to listen. He wants you to be slow to speak. See, we can be so quick to turn Christianity into an academic exercise. We don't study the word for the purpose of studying the word. We study the word for the purpose of being transformed and living differently. Amen? Father, I just pray that you would convict us this morning of our inactivity. Lord, as we pick up this theme next week, God, I just pray that you would show us so clearly through your little brother James' words how we're to honor you in what we do and what we don't do. Lord, help us to take seriously what we hear at church, podcasts, private devotions. Lord, help us to assimilate all that and take it in, but help us to utilize it to shake hell. In Jesus' name, amen.